Bible, I'd like to read a very famous verse tonight. It's found in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to read tonight one of these rare occasions in which the Bible gives us a definition of something that is very, you'd say it's, it's a wonderful truth. And when you get wonderful things in the Bible, it's just hard to get a very succinct definition. But I, I love simple definitions. Um, if I can find them for difficult things in life, I, I, I hold on to them. They're gold. When you get simple definitions, and we get one here in our Bibles, and if you want to find it, it's in your New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're just going to read a couple of verses here, uh, and we're going to speak from them. Really, I just want to speak on five words that we find here. This is how the chapter starts. The Apostle Paul writes these words, and he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, the gospel, he says, which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which you are saved. So we know that people can get saved because of the gospel. And then he says here, if you just turn your eyes down to verse 3, here is what he calls the gospel. He says, for I delivered unto you, first of all, of utmost importance, that's what that means, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, and he was seen of Cephas, and then of twelve, and after that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once. That's a great nail in the coffin to any conspiracy theorist. Five hundred men, all at one time. We'll just read those words once more. The definition of the gospel, as Paul lays it out here, he says this, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Bible. According to this Bible, I'd like to speak tonight just on that definition of the gospel. The gospel means good news, good news. Now, if you're like me, my experience, good news only means one thing. The only time I ever heard that is people said I have good news and I have bad news. All that really meant is I have bad news. But let me give you an appetizer before I tell you that. But good news, you know, good has fallen on hard times, too. You think the word good, not you so much. I remember when I got progress reports in school, good was just above needs improvement. You said it was awful. It was just a, it was just a hair away from your parents actually disciplining you. You say good was right there. If, if you went home and you tasted our snack in the back and they said tomorrow, how were the snacks at the tent meetings in Wyckoff? You said good. Probably wouldn't get many more people to come back for the snack. He said sometimes Google reviews, we're obsessed with them. Uh, my brother has successfully written, I think, an Amazon review, which is very hard to do and to get, it, to get people to look at it. But if you call a product good, that's, that's maybe worth three and a half stars at most. And yet when you come to the gospel, I say, no reason not to call it great. No reason not to call this great news. When I, when I take a look at what Paul, he just says, he says, I just want to term it the way everyone else has. And just to say good news, but to... To call it great this evening, you say, is there any precedent to call this great? Out of all that I could refer to as great, out of all that I know of in my life, why would I ever refer to this message as great? And the Bible gives us a, 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 a number of reasons. It not only calls salvation great, it calls us a great salvation, we read in Hebrews 2. You say, why? Because you're not being saved tonight from... You're not being saved from debt. 
You're not being saved from, uh, you know, not, not, not graduating. You're not being saved from, as it were, a, a dysfunctional family. You're not being saved from, from, from regrets that have mounted in your life. You are being saved from perishing in a place called hell. You're being saved from the very things that I cannot get rid of. And only Christ can cleanse the soul. And so it's a great salvation because if, if all you needed was a life coach, I would refer you to someone down the street here in Franklin Lakes. If, if all you needed was someone to help you get through these summer months, there's a thousand and one shrinks somewhere around here. If all you needed was financial advice, my friend, there's like 10 people in the meeting that could help you. But if you want to be guaranteed heaven, there's only one man I can direct you to. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. He saves. Bible tells us that it's a great peril that we're saved from. It's a great disaster. A great, it calls it great. And you say, why? Because if, if you die tomorrow, it wouldn't matter if, if, if you, you miss sending someone a birthday card. It wouldn't matter if you didn't mow your lawn next week. It wouldn't matter. All these things that we consider so important, like making it down to the shore for the summer or, or making it out to visit some cousin we haven't seen in 10 years. None of that matters tomorrow if you die without Christ. None of it. It, it all adds up to zero if you die without Christ. So the peril is great. And you can understand just the pressure maybe on me tonight because I feel if I don't communicate this to you tonight, that, that, that I, would, I would be doing an injustice to this message because what you stand to gain tonight, I cannot measure. And what you stand to lose tonight, I cannot measure because you stand to lose your sins and you stand to gain Christ. You stand to gain heaven. You stand to lose any chance of ever being in hell. And you stand to gain that because of a great God and Savior. That's one of the greatest greats that we get in our New Testament, referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, a great salvation is that is what we are having to present to you tonight. And you say, it's a, it's a great salvation. You say, not only that, but we're saved from a great peril. We're saved by a great God. I was thinking of what our brother, if you were there this afternoon, he did an open Sunday school, and he quoted that verse found in the book of Job, one of our earliest books in the Bible, and he just said this. He said, God just took this world 8,000 miles from side to side, and he just placed it on nothing. You say that gets 9 out of 10 stars in my book. You want to know what gets 10 out of 10 stars? Is that the same one who placed the earth on nothing? Uh, the, 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 the writer actually says he hung the world on nothing. The same, the same person who did that became a man and he hung on a cross. For who? For who? That's why we preach the gospel tonight. He did it for you. You say the remarkable thing is that everyone's not going home to heaven. Everyone's not going there. And so to say this tonight, this is a great message. And I just want to look at three things tonight, just an opening for, for, for Eugene tonight. I just want to talk about three things. And there, there are things that we often think about. You, you've had to have thought about these at least once, at, at least once to, on a long drive. If you're like me and you're working during the day and you hit 287, you're going south, you got about 30 miles there until you say, Nothing's going to happen, and you, you get time to just reflect on some of the more intricate matters of life. Sometimes sitting up at night there on these hot summer nights, you say, I'm just sitting there thinking about these things, and you say, you had to have thought at one time, is God really good? 
Because this is good news. Is God good? Maybe you've also thought, I'd like to think after that, is there any chance that people who are guilty could be good? Any chance? Any chance in this world? And finally, is there any chance that there is a good guarantee on what I'm saying tonight? Any chance that the guarantee is good? That the God who offers it is good? Any chance that the guilty are good? When I look sometimes and I think about that, God is good. You know, the psalm, the psalms, all 150 psalms, I think, there, I, don't, I don't know, I didn't really count it up, but I know there's at least one time where the psalmist, he writes all these hymns, and one time he says, God is good, truly, truly God is good. He makes no reservations about it, and it seems as though he, he goes through the whole course of history. He, he thinks about the, the really wretched people. He thinks about the really good people. He thinks about all of mankind. He thinks about all experiences, and he says, God is good, truly God is good. You say, yeah, I've heard a lot of people say that. I had a friend, actually, he was here last year for the meetings, and he, he, he speaks at a mission down in Chicago, and 500 men will, will be in that mission. And he said this, I think he said it from this platform, but I'll repeat his story. He said, he said often in that meeting, one man on one side, now, you don't have to do this in this meeting, but if, if you do, maybe just keep it to once. He said, one man will say, God is good. You'll, you'll get one man to shout that out on, on this side of the audience, 500 men. He says, you get that a lot. You get a lot of people who say God is good. He goes, it's just a, it's a, it's a common refrain. It's almost like saying amen. He goes, but you know what? He was telling us, he said, he said, sometimes, sometimes there are men in that audience who will respond all the time. He goes, and those are the men that you know have been in prison. They've been incarcerated. That's where they learn that. Because until you've sunk to the bottom, you can't say that. Until you've sunk to the bottom. He goes, until you've been, as it were, without any of your freedom, without any of your hopes, with everything dashed. He says, what does it really mean? What does it mean to say God is good? We say that because we were preserved from illness. We, our, our family was, was, was in an accident, but everyone survived. We just say God is good. God is good. And we say it at good things. But until you hit rock bottom, you say then, you say, well, God is good all the time. You know, I'm a believer. God is good all the time. You say, no, Dave, there's too much evil in this world. Too many things that are, are bad, that are too many things that uh, you cannot say it's all the time. You know, the Lord Jesus, he met a man who came to him. And that man said to him, he said, what do I have to do to get there? What do I have to do to get eternal life? And he actually addressed the Lord Jesus as good. And the Lord Jesus said to him, he said, why do you call me good? There's only one person who's good. That's God. That man was left to wonder, was he looking at God? Because if he was, what did it matter what he was going to do? What did it matter what he had done? If he had obeyed everything, if he had given everything, what did it matter? And the Lord Jesus leaves us with this question, and he says this to us. He goes, if God is good, and he's good all the time, I take all the evils that I see, all the wrongs in life, all the things that seem to bring this down, and you say, Dave, what assurance, what could you give me that would ever lead me to think that God is good? I'll tell you something that might make you angry, but it tells me something of an utmost hope. God loves the terrorist as much as he loves the toddler. God loves the murderer as much as he loves the world's greatest mothers. God loves people in heaven as much as he loves people in hell. You say that. That's not a God for me. God isn't good. 
God loves like that because God's love isn't earned. No one deserves. I, I know men, and you, you watch films, you, you're almost, you're almost uh, as it were, uh, you're, you're, you're offset because of Hollywood, but I, I know men who died because they had great spouses. They would have died for their spouse. I know men who have died because their country was great. I know men, you say, they were willing to die because they had great people that they represented. They were willing to do it. Christ didn't die because I was great. Christ died because he was great. He did not die so that I could somehow say, I deserved it. No, 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 far be it, far be it. This is a great salvation. This is God is good because I've never had to earn this and I've never been able to deserve it. You say, how did I get it? Because at Calvary, all this world's wrongs, you want to take the worst that you've seen, the most awful things, they all come together at Calvary. You ever hear on the news, next time you, you think about this, they said an innocent person died today, and it's usually a child, and it wrenches your heart. An innocent person didn't die at Calvary, a holy person died. No comparison to innocence. A holy man died that day at Calvary, and you'd say, what of that did he deserve? No, it's a great salvation because God is good. And I know that because God became a man and he went to Calvary for every evil act that this world couldn't commit and that I could commit. And so I say God is good all the time because I know at that time, at those six hours at Calvary, Christ died for our sins. That makes the gospel great. You say, can the guilty be good? Is there any chance the guilty be good? I was in CVS on Friday. And if you go to CVS in Wyckoff, you always wait for 10 minutes for some reason. There's a huge line there. And as I was waiting online, uh, it seems to be, I don't know uh, how they choose their music, but it was country music playing. I looked up the song when I got home. It was an artist named Luke Bryan. If you know him, kudos to you. Uh, he's a country singer. And I could just remember the words that repeated. When I was online, I must have heard it four times. It went through all four verses. And he said this in his song. He goes... I don't be the believe I believe that the world is not as half as bad as it looks. I believe most people are good. If I ever get a chance to meet Mr. Brian, I'd like to ask him, according to whose standard? According to whose standard? I'm a great I'm a good basketball player, but but you'll you'll never see me uh in the NBA. I'm a good driver, but NASCAR hasn't called me yet. You know, you'd say, uh, 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 Dave, you know, I, I'm, 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 I'm pretty good, you know, as it were with my finances, but no one's asking me to do their taxes. You'd say, we have this idea that, that a standard is set up, that somehow we're all looking to, to get to this great place called heaven, and we all want to earn it, and we're all thinking that somehow it's going to be achievable. And when I ask people, and I ask them every once in a while, when you think of a really bad person, when you think of someone as evil, go ahead, think of them. Who do you think of? When you think of a bad, when you think of someone who in your mind is the icon of someone who is bad, who do you think of? 99 out of 100 people don't think of themselves. Because everybody's either better than you or worse than you. And you become this standard. You become this idea that, well, it's just that they're worse than me and, and they're better than me. And you know what you do is you make yourself the standard for heaven. 
that that's the, that's the standard bearer. And yet the Bible comes through and it says this, that guilty people, guilty people are never good. And yet you say guilty people have a chance to be identified with Christ because he died for the guilty. This is the one man who came into the world. The Bible tells us that, that it, he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He didn't come to call the good or the righteous. He came to call sinners to repentance. We did last week, uh, I, I, a couple weeks ago, I was doing a, a, a children's meetings, and we had this one verse that kids kept Kept, they would quote the words and they would say to me, no, it's backwards. And, and the verse said, uh, it is not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And you'd say, that's, that's the gospel message. That's what we miss. We miss it so much that we avoid our whole lives thinking that there's someone worse, that there's something worse. And yet as soon as I realize I'm the guilty person, I recognize this one fact that that's who Christ came to save. Does it get better than that? Does it get grander than that? And I ask you, my friend tonight, sincerely, I, there are some people in the tent, you say, I might see you once in the year, and so forgive me if I seem adamant about this. But is there anything greater than this? That the one who placed the stars in heaven was placed on a cross for you, for your sins. Not the person next to you, forget about, for you. I often wonder, 10 years after I'm dead, you say, how many people will remember your name except the people who see it etched on that marble block at your cemetery? Very few. But long before I was ever born, the Lord Jesus Christ knew my name. He knew my middle initial because it separates me from the other David Zudemas. He, he knew my birthday. He knew the hairs on my head. He knew the size of my feet before they ever put the prints on the paper to give to my parents. He knew all that about me, and he knew this. He knew I was guilty from day one. And he was willing to die at Calvary for me. He was willing to die for me, the guilty. And as much as I'd like to avoid being evil, being ungodly, being unrighteous, as much as I'd long to avoid being those terms which condemn me to lost hell, I gladly take each one of those terms because it's exactly who Christ came to die for. He came to, he came to seek and to save the lost. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It was me. God is good. The guilty, Lord Jesus says, there is none good. And as though you were about to refute it, he says, no, not one. And yet he went to Calvary. And when God looks from heaven, you say, he looks at me and he sees his son because his son took my place. If anyone deserved to be on that cross, it was me. Yet he took my place at Calvary, died for every single one of my sins, past, present, future, from the greatest sin to the least. He died for my sins. Christ died for my sins. And you'd say, God is good all the time. The guilty Tonight, stand to be made good in the eyes of God, not because of what they can do, but because of what Christ has done. If I said that a thousand times tonight, it wouldn't change it. But what would change you tonight is if you would believe it. This is a message that changes lives. This is not something to add to your repertoire. It's not something that'll, that'll add to your keychain fob. 
Another thing to dangle there. It's not something you'll hang in your rearview mirror. It's something that takes the sin from your soul and makes you ready for heaven because Christ took your place at Calvary. And you'd say, is the guarantee good? The guarantee, my friend, is as good as gold. And one day, gold won't exist anymore. In fact, that's a bad statement. The guarantee is as good as God. Because as far as I know, gold doesn't corrupt. One day, gold won't be around. Guarantee is as good as God's word. I often wonder, you know, I, every summer I celebrate a birthday. I actually, two months before I get my birthday, I tell people how old I am. People say, people say to me all the time, they say, oh, do you feel? I won't tell you how old I am. Do you feel? And I say, no, I don't feel that way. I don't feel that way. I'm still faster than my brothers who are 10 years younger than me. I'm, I'm still, I'm still, you know, I, I have fewer grades than some of my contemporaries. And I, I say, no, I don't feel that way. But they say, you know, sometimes you almost, you almost think, how old am I really? You know, I, I don't feel that way. And I can go back to my birth certificate and it says August 20th, 1983. It's not a feeling, it's a fact. The other day I was driving up 208 and, and every day I know the person who owns my house is Columbia Bank and, and the other day they were changing their name or their logo and they, they took the sign down and I remember passing by, no sign on the building. The first thought that went through my head is, I wonder if the people who own my house have gone bankrupt themselves. You know, and you'd say, no, all I had to do was go. And there I saw, I, I passed by later on, I, I called up my broker, David Jones. And I said, hey, I say, are we still in business here? Yep, David goes, we still have the title for your house. Some people tell me, they say, that's too nice of a car for you, Dave. When I'm driving around, I say, too nice, too nice for you. And I almost wonder, it is too nice for me. Is that really my car? I go home and I get the title and I say, there it is, my name on it. You know, people say to me, you going to heaven, your sin's forgiven. Are you guaranteed? this great salvation. Six out of seven days, I don't feel like it. And in fact, I deserve it less today than I did 19 years ago when I got saved. In fact, a thousand years from now, I'll deserve it. You'd say, no, actually, I'll never deserve it. I'll never feel as though I was anything other than nothing. But Christ died for me, for nothing. Because he was great, not because I was. And you know the guarantee that I hold on to? It's not me. It's this. It tells me it. And it's though as I can't believe it. And if I really, to be honest with you, if I were to be sincere tonight, I should have to check it every hour of the day because I would almost say, as often as I sin, as often as I feel evil, corrupt, ungodly, as often as I feel like I am the sinner above all sinners, I just open up the pages in this golden book and it tells me this in such a succinct way that Christ died for our sins. Argue with it, my friend, and argue with God. Don't argue with me. Because if he died for your sins, Why aren't you going to heaven? If the man who died at Calvary on a Friday afternoon from 9 o'clock until 3 o'clock, if the man who was nailed to that center cross by his hands and his feet, if the one who said it was finished a little before 3, before they took him down and he died and he was buried, if the man who died there, if he died for every single one of your sins, my friend, 
he has saved other people in this meeting. I want to know. I want to know if the guarantee is written on pages in this book that will never expire. I love things that don't expire, but unfortunately, they all do. And here's the one thing never gets old and never expires and never goes out of fashion. Truth never expires. And in five golden words, Christ died for our sins, according to the Bible. That's what makes it great. That's what makes it great, is that he does the saving. I did the sinning. I was the guilty. He was God. I let God do what he said he would do. Save a guilty sinner like me. I often tell people, and sometimes I don't want to appeal to anyone's emotion tonight. How wonderful to spend heaven. How wonderful to spend eternity, you'd say, with a father. How wonderful to spend eternity with a sister or a brother. You'd say, how wonderful. I can't imagine what it'll be like one day to meet people I have loved in heaven. My friend, what it'll be like to spend an eternity with the only man who loved you and gave his life for you. God's beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you think that this is beyond you, you have missed it. Because the Bible tells me Christ died for our sins. According to the Bible, I would almost say take it, but you're not taking an it tonight. You're taking a person. Take Christ. Those who come to him, he never turns away. This is a guarantee from the Bible to be saved from your sins, to be saved from wickedness, to be saved from hell. We always focus on the negative. But my friend, to be saved from a meaningless life, to be saved from just having a life that would amount to nothing more than a dash between two numbers, to be saved by a great God and Savior for a great salvation from a great peril because we preach to you great news tonight that Christ died for our sins. Would you turn please to the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. <clears throat> the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. And while you're doing that, I will repeat that warm welcome and thank you so much for joining us tonight. Luke chapter 2. Very familiar passage. The birth of the Lord Jesus. Verse 8. Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You know, every time an angel appeared to people in the Bible, the general reaction was fear, fear. So it is remarkable that the first words that the angel spoke here, as well in other places, was, don't be afraid, fear not. But will you notice that the angel announces this, don't be afraid, I have good news for you. 
Fear not, I bring you good tidings, good news. Now, we live at a time, unfortunately, where there is an awful lot of fake news. But this is good news from God to you that you can leave this meeting tonight on the way to heaven instead of hell because of what Christ did at Calvary when Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now, the background of this is that for just about 400 years, there were no prophets in Israel rising up and saying, thus saith the Lord. There was nobody bringing a message from God and saying, this is what God has said. So here, after 400 years, heaven opens. And the message that comes from God is not a message of judgment. It's not words of, they are not words of anger. It is fear not, I bring you good tidings of great joy. And it is spoken to shepherds. Not, not in Rome, to the emperor. Not in Jerusalem, to the priests. But to common, ordinary working men, the message comes that Christ has entered the world. So you'll understand that, first of all, a concern of God, heaven's deep concern for every man and woman is pictured here. Do you know, I was in England last year having gospel meetings in a, in a tent. Queen Elizabeth did not call me. She did not request my appearance at Buckingham Palace. She doesn't even know that I exist. Does she know that you exist? Emmanuel Macron of France, does he know that you exist? Is he concerned about you and your welfare? You say, well, you're being ridiculous, sir. We're American. Do you realize that, that they're so far away, thousands of miles, and that there's no relation between them and us? We're Americans. Why would they have any interest in us? Please tell me, why would God have any interest in us? Are we talking about distance between here and Great Britain or here and Paris? What about the distance from here to heaven? Are we talking about a difference that we're Americans and, and we are not related or linked with them? What links did we have with heaven and with God? Why would God have any interest in you and where you're going to be forever? God places a value on every human being, and it's because of the fact that he has made you a soul in his image. Every person here tonight is of infinite value to God. You don't increase that value by increasing your portfolio, by adding to your educational level. You do not increase your value to God by climbing the, the corporate ladder or, or upping your social status. It is because you have been made by God, by God in his image. And what that involves, among other things, is that there is a link between mankind and God that does not exist for any other part of creation. You remember how God expresses that, don't you? That when it came to the fishes in the sea or the birds in the air or the beasts in the field, he said, let this happen, let this happen, let this happen. And it took place. But when it came to human beings, God said, let us make man in our image. And then there was that remarkable statement, God breathed into man's nostrils the spirit of life the breath of life and man became a living soul and your value is because you are a human being who will exist forever we had two dogs one of them was dying i was having meetings in connecticut and uh figured when i got home i was gonna have to take the older dog to be put down 
So I don't cry easy, but I did like that dog. <laughs> and when I got home and thought of what I was going to have to do, I went, the dog was in the back room on a huge pillow just lying there. Basically, he wagged his tail a little, you know, when he saw me. So, I, you know, you women don't have this trouble, but men don't like to be seen crying. So I was trying to stifle my sobs and hide my tears. And the other dog would not leave me alone. Pushed his nose, see, pushed his nose in to move my arm from my eyes. And, and he knew something was wrong. He could sense that. Do you know what he couldn't sense? He couldn't sense what death meant. He couldn't sense anything about after death. He couldn't sense anything about eternity. He couldn't understand a dog dying and would never be seen again. And that that was the reason for, there, there were things, there are things that the animal world by instinct can sense. But what it cannot do, it cannot have a link with God in the sense that you can. And of course, we were made with a likeness to God and a, a, a life that God intended that we would enjoy. And then the disaster happened. We're into this wonderful creation that God had made. The most destructive force in the universe came. The Bible tells us that by one man, Adam, sin entered the world and death by sin. Do you know what happened? Theologians call it the fall. They'd be better to call it the crash. It was the shattering of this world. The link between us and God was severed. A loving relationship that would have resulted in your highest joys was destroyed by this thing called sin. The likeness was distorted. You can no longer look at another human being and say, ah, I, I see what God's character is like. I can, I can see that in that woman. I can see what God is like in that man. You can't do that anymore. It's like a child that looks like his dad, but has been out playing in the mud and his face is filthy. And you can see through the dirt and see the family resemblance, but there's so much dirt as well. And so there are things about us, aren't there? We have a, a, an enjoyment of order and beauty and symmetry. There are people who can put words together into unforgettable poetry or prose. And yet each one of us has hearts that are stained by sin. And it's a little like those carnival mirrors, you know where you stand in front of it and your, your image is distorted and all of a sudden you're two feet, five inches tall and you're about nine, nine feet wide or you're as thin as a rail and nine feet tall. You're not getting a proper image of what things are really like. And if you want to know what God is like, please don't look at another human being here. If you want to know what God is like, look at the Lord Jesus. That's the only one who can show you properly what God was like. And of course, our life was doomed at that point, doomed to an eternal despair. And then Christ came. I bring you good tidings of great joy unto you was born this day in the city of David, a savior, which is Christ the Lord, not a helper, not an assistant, not a coach, a savior, which is Christ the Lord. Why did he come? Why did the Lord Jesus come? Would you send your son into danger willingly? Would you send your daughter into danger knowing that it was there? I read about a, a soldier uh, in, in Afghanistan and he had actually left his, 
He had been talking to his, his uh, mother on a cell phone and hadn't disconnected. And the, the link was still there. And she was hearing incoming. And, and she could hear the bombs exploding. And she's worried now about her boy. Would you have sent your son into a, a, a world that was seething with hatred and, and roiling with its rebellion? Why did he come? He came because God is love. He came because God is rich in mercy. He came because of the rich grace of God to helpless, guilty sinners like you and me. He came to save sinners. I bring you good news, the angel says. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So think about the coming of the Lord Jesus. Think of who it was who came, the Son of God. See, there are other times in, in the history of our world where heavenly beings were sent with a message, angels. This time it was God. There were other times where God appeared to one of his people, like to Moses. But it was only temporary and brief. This time, not only was it God, but he came to live here. There were other times where God's presence was unveiled and terrifying. Mount Sinai was on fire and the people were trembling to think about the greatness of God. But he came as a man, veiled his glory, came here as a man so that he would be able to do exactly what my dear brother has been etching on our minds tonight. Christ died for our sins. God cannot die, but God became a man so that he could die for guilty sinners. Is he your savior? Is he your savior? It's unfortunate that we imagine that if we're born in America and we belong to a Christian denomination, that therefore we are Christians. The Bible tells us who are Christians. There are people who have a moment in life when they have personally received Christ and they have become the children of God, John chapter 1. There are people who have been born again. There are people who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior. Are you a Christian? Are you saved? Is he your Savior. That is who came. Notice why he came. A Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Let me give you his own words. He said he came to seek you. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. He said he came to suffer. That he would go to a cross and die. He said, this was why I came. This is the purpose for which I came. At that place called Calvary, where those three crosses were erected. Two of them were bearing the wrath of Rome. One of them was bearing the wrath of God. The Lord Jesus had willingly taken my sins on him and was suffering the judgment that was due to my sins. He and his father had agreed on this mighty work that it was the son, not the Holy Spirit, not the father, the son who would die for sinners. It would be the son who would bear the judgment of those sins. It would be the son who would suffer for sins. The just for the unjust to bring us to God. No wonder the angel says, don't be afraid. I bring you good tidings. I bring you wonderful news. Great news. I, I, I think there are probably some children here who at some point around Christmas time, at some time in their life, have looked at the video either in school or on the internet, Charlie Brown's Christmas. Do you remember he's wondering what Christmas is all about? And do you remember 
that his friend Linus is going to tell him what Christmas is all about? Do you remember that? Please don't be angry now that I'm telling this. Just listen to me, see? <laughs> Linus is going to explain to him what Christmas is all about. So holding his security blanket, Linus walks out onto the middle of the stage where they are, and he quotes from Luke chapter 2. There were shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the glory of the Lord came upon them. The angel of the Lord came upon them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said, fear not. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Did you know what just happened? Did you watch carefully to see what happened in that video? What Mr. Schultz did? He has Linus coming out, right, to the stage. There's something Linus never does. You know what he never does? He never lets go of that blanket. That's his security, see? He lets go of the blanket. One time. Center stage. He lets it go the moment he says, and the angel said, fear not. Fear not. He had found a greater security than his blanket. This message is offering you the security of a home in heaven. No wonder the angel said, don't be afraid. I bring you good tidings of great joy. He came to save. We're reminded by Paul that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. John the Apostle wrote that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. The Lord Jesus said, I am come a light into the world, that whoever believes in me would not abide in darkness, but would have the light of life. All the attention of all of us has been drawn to those children in the cave in Thailand. It made me think about the time when those Chilean miners were trapped. They were trapped 2,000 feet below solid rock, 33 men. Here's their diet. A spoonful of tuna. A sip of milk. And a taste of peaches. Every other day. A spoonful of tuna. A sip of milk. A taste of peaches every other day for two months. Two months. And then, coming all the way down to where those men were, a man named Manuel Gonzalez comes down to coordinate their rescue. None of those 33 men said, here, let me help you. I have some ideas here. They were helpless. None of them said, if we combine our power with your power, we think this will work. No, no. He had come to save them. How they would be saved would be what he would do for them, not what they would collectively do. When I was growing up listening to this gospel message, that's exactly what I imagined it was. I thought it was a collaboration between Christ and me. He had done his part. I, I knew enough of the Bible to know that, that I couldn't become saved by being baptized. I couldn't become saved by my church attendance. I couldn't become saved by trying to do better in my life. I knew enough about that, but I imagined that he had done the staggering percentage. 99% had left me just this small thing to do. If I would just come to him in the right way, if I would just believe this in, in a strong enough way, if I would just do this one little thing, I would be saved. And as long as I imagined that he and I were sharing in the work of salvation, 
Nothing made sense. And the night, a July night in 1966, when I discovered that I was absolutely helpless and found out that there was a Savior who was willing to save me. Not he and I working together. A Savior who was willing to save me. I just did what the Bible said. I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. God did what the Bible said. He saved me. If you do that tonight, he'll save you. Because this is why Christ came into the world. So now listen to the chorus of angels. Because they are telling us good news. Behold, I bring you good tidings. So you'll understand this is the very meaning of the word gospel. If you received an invitation, you know that we call this the gospel tent. Because it's a tent in which we're preaching the gospel. Angels don't have the privilege of doing this on a regular basis. This is one time when they came with gospel news. I bring you gospel news. I bring you good tidings. Notice that it's glad news. Not only good news, but glad news because the angel said it's good tidings of great joy. It's not only good, it is joyous. It imparts joy to people who hear it and believe it. Has the coming of the Lord Jesus into this world and his death on the cross, has that done anything for you? If he had never come and never died, would it have made a difference in how you're living? Because you see, to people who are saved, that means everything. To people who are saved, it is not only good news, it's glad news. And the message of the gospel is for everyone. That's why it's global news. The angel said, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. There is no restriction on this message. It is for every creature. It's for all the world. It's for whosoever. It's for you. And what glorious news is this? A savior, which is Christ the Lord. Not an angel, not an emissary, not a messenger, but the son of God. Not someone who would rise up out of humanity and tell us some wonderful news, but someone who would come down out of heaven to provide salvation for you. So as the meeting closes, could I ask you, is Christ your savior? Do you have a moment in your life when you personally trusted the Lord Jesus and you passed from what the Bible calls spiritual death to life when you were saved by trusting Christ as your Savior. You know, during the siege of Leningrad, during the Second World War, the Nazis, of course, were trying to choke the city to death. Relief came over a frozen lake behind the city, and Russian trucks were able to drive across that lake and bring supplies to the city meant the difference between life and death. You know what they called that? That passage over the ice, bringing supplies into the city. The Nazis on this side, the siege circling the city three quarters of the way, the one open way across this frozen lake, trucks bringing in food and medical supplies, a lifeline to the city. Do you know what they called it? The road of life. The road of life. Without that, they die. The road of life. Friend, if he had not come, if he had not opened the way to heaven, if he had not provided salvation, if there were no good news to tell you tonight that you can be saved, our situation would be eternally hopeless. But there's a road of life. There's somebody who came to die for you and save you from your sins. And the Bible is saying that if you trust him tonight, 
he that believes on the Son of God has everlasting life.